creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are most again! Howdy. Welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I am Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined once again by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. Guys, what's happening? Couldn't be better. Yellow. You really could not be better, Lauren? Not at this very moment. That's great. Yeah, there's no place else the three of us would rather be. Yeah. Right, Mike? That is something to strive for. Um, <laughs> just three very optimistic, happy people. Uh, that's not he- what we're here to talk about, though, our, our mental states. Uh, that could be a much longer podcast. We're here to talk about the Boston Bruins. Uh, this is probably the most that they've played since we've last recorded a podcast because their schedule is such a disaster, and that's still saying something, seeing as they're in the middle of like a five-day break. Uh, to catch you up since the last time we spoke, Bruins lose to the Florida Panthers in Florida on Wednesday. Then on the second leg of a back-to-back, lose to the Carolina Hurricanes, get pounded actually by the Carolina Hurricanes. And then two days later, play the Florida Panthers, beat them again. Uh, one of those games where they undoubtedly were not the better team, but they did win in a shootout. Uh, and now they won't play again until Thursday when they play the Detroit Red Wings, who thus far, decent team, 4-3-2, and two, 10 points. Um, lower point percentage than the Bruins, but they are technically higher than them in the standings. Um, I guess the big sort of talking points lately have been centered around what the Bruins are supposed to do with their defensive pairings because they're just sort of throwing them together as they go along. They abandoned the Charlie McAvoy, Derek Forbert idea for a little bit, uh, but now that they're realizing that Forbert-Clifton is not the most uh, shut-down pairing, they're kind of left in a tough spot there. So maybe we'll use that as our jumping-off point. As, you know, The Bruins have had five days to sort of rethink things, so... On the blue line, how are you changing things, if at all, going into this next stretch of games here, Lauren? I think that McAvoy and Grizzlick are the best pairing. I think that they should stop getting away from taking McAvoy and Grizzlick away from one another. But it also makes me think, like, where does Derek Forbert fit you know, on this blue line? Because they've tried him with Clifton. It doesn't work. McAvoy is not... McAvoy with Forbert is not what Cassie was expecting in this season. So where does he go? Does he go... Do you maybe shuffle out Connor Clifton for John Moore? Do you shuffle out, which I'm sure you're a fan of. Yep, I I would (laughs) co-sign that. Or, you know, do you continue? I mean, Connor Clifton is not having a strong season. I think that maybe maybe he's the one who kind of should be the odd man out and kind of figure out where Forbert belongs. But I don't really know what to do with the blue line other than keep McAvoy and Grizzlick together. Michael? (coughs) Any thoughts? Yeah, no, I I have thoughts. Sorry, I'm trying to adjust myself here. I uh, I disagree with Lauren just because I don't know. It's been tough. I I, I kind of and I, this is similar to my point last week about Charlie Coyle. I, I think it was uh, what we were talking about. And it's like whatever it is, pick something and stick with it. Because yeah. I think when you start moving things around, especially when it's, there's not injuries related, it's not injury related, then it becomes, you know, how do you develop? Like, if you break up McAvoy and Forbert and then you, you know, they spend three weeks apart and you bring them back together, it's going to, well, it's not, might not look good. So at a certain point, if you're even somewhat committed to that, 
then you have to go let them try to find some chemistry because we know what Grizzly and McAvoy bring to the table. That's well established. So if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're at all interested or at all want to see what you have in that, that pairing, and clearly they, they at, at one point in their thought process thought it was a, an effective D pairing, then you got to go back to it at a certain point. Cause like, that's how they started the year. Right. So yeah. they, they clearly believe in something or they saw something there. I would, I don't know. I, I, I think I would use this early season. Um, well, I guess it's been tough right now with, you know, when you don't play, when you play once a week, it's kind of hard to get in any sort of rhythm, but I would kind of, I would stick with that McAvoy forward thing and just kind of move the rest of the pieces around because I think you need a, a defined, I just, I think that's your easiest path or your, your most suitable path to, to depth, I guess is one way of putting it too. I think it ultimately becomes a philosophical argument about whether, because I think that Grizzlick McAvoy is the better pairing. I think that. Yeah, the, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. You guys sure. are both right there. Yeah. But I think you start to run into an issue of, well, how much worse is Forbert Clifton than Grizzlick Clifton? Because you can either take the approach where you ride with one really good defensive pairing, an okay second pairing, and then you say your prayers for the third pairing, or you have three relatively balanced defensive pairings. And you would think, at least with how the Bruins historically have constructed their forward lines, that they would probably prefer the depth across all three, which would result in Forbert being up with McAvoy and Grizzlick with Clifton. I guess the question perhaps ends up being the problem might be Connor Clifton or that sixth defenseman more so than anything with Derek Forbert and Charlie McAvoy or Matt Grizzlick. Because if you're in a position where you can't play Grizzlick with McAvoy because your third pairing would be a puddle, then that probably means that you need to figure something out on that third pairing. And frankly, I don't know what that solution would be. They haven't really given Zaboro much of a look. Uh, John Moore is playing in Providence. Eurovakanainen doesn't appear to be ready, I guess. This is where he honestly would probably fit in best, right, as the two-way defenseman that you could put with Forbert. So there's a little bit of uh, aptitude in both both zones. But I don't know. It feels in a way like they're kind of stuck. And I think it was Lauren who is – or Mike, rather, who is saying this is they might just kind of have to – fight through it and go with something and stick with it and then roll from there. Yeah. So what, what I mean, what would you do? What, like, what would I do at this point? I'm probably playing Grizzlick with McAvoy, even though it flies in the face of the theory that probably yeah. makes a little bit more sense. Uh, because I, the thing is, is I don't think you're so much better with the three balanced defensive pairings as you are having one very good, defensive pairing and if anything if there are any changes i'm making i would at least think about the idea of forbert with carlo maybe and then you put riley with clifton but then you're really taking some chances in the defensive zone but at least so, i don't know your second pairing still probably can't get the puck out of its own zone am i an idiot like the grizzly clifton thing like, the numbers have been good though oh yeah they're fine but but the question more so is you're getting more out of Charlie McAvoy probably by having Grizzlick on the top pairing as opposed to having him pull Connor Clifton. So I, where I'd push back or at least question that is like, why did you give the guy $9 million a year or whatever? I think that's a question. A lot of people asked when he did that. 
But like it, it makes sense. Like you have to pay your. But like, isn't that the re, like? Do you should you be adjusting? I don't know how this works. Maybe this is a philosophical question too that I haven't dug too deep into when it comes to building D pairs in the in the NHL when you have an elite defenseman who you're paying a ton of money. Like, aren't you kind of asking him by virtue of how much you're paying him to to be able to carry a guy, not necessarily be complimented? Yeah. So I don't know. You you, you would think. Yeah. I the more I think about this, the more I settle on Forber McAvoy and just figuring it out because it's just like McAvoy's good and he's gonna be good probably with the. Uh, is there anybody who's gonna really pull him down like considerably? Uh, no. So, but see, but that that's a little simple minded because and then we can revisit you would this rather in the spring. because we can also look at as well. Is there anyone that's gonna pull him down? Probably not. Is there anyone that's gonna elevate him? And what I would say that's Matt Grizzlick because Matt Grizzlick takes a lot of the burden off of Charlie McAvoy. Clear, I mean, Matt Grizzlick is one of the best guys at clearing his own zone, just carrying the puck. And that's something that Charlie McAvoy doesn't have to completely rely on as opposed to when he's with Forbert. So Mike and I have cast our ballots. So that, that actually wasn't intended to be an election day joke. But Lauren, <laughs> go ahead and uh, – settle the tie here i was gonna say though before before i settle the tie do you think bruce cassidy has the patience to kind of let things work out because he's so quick to change things up he's so quick to change lines and this and that when he's not seeing production or what he wants does he have the patience to let mcavoy and forbert work i certainly don't but i'm not an nhl coach but i don't know i i I wonder sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i think you i don't think you split up mcavoy and grizzly because logan like you said he doesn't he elevates mcavoy and it's not about who brings him down. It's about who can elevate his game, and that's what you need right now. I'd be interested to ask Cassidy how his philosophy when it comes to tinkering has changed or may change with the roster that he has now where it's like it's not as – I don't want to say dependable, but it, it feels like this is talent-wise his – not – like it's just – I don't know. It doesn't feel – it doesn't feel like the same kind of roster that they've had in years past where I wonder if he kind of backs off of that or if he does it more when he's there's more uncertainties in the lineup. It's, I think that's an interesting thing to kind of monitor moving forward. Well, isn't that sort of why they built the roster the way they did? Like the floor is supposed to be higher because well, you the, have all these veterans. Now, granted – Third and fourth lines, yes. but you know. Yeah, it's a little different on defense. But, I mean, this is a conversation we've had before of, does Cassidy sometimes lead himself astray by how much of a hair trigger he has to change things up? And I don't know. It's not like he's doing anything so drastic where all of a sudden Connor Clifton's on the top pairing or something like that. But at a certain point, I do think they need to figure out how to ride it out. I would think with the contract they gave Derek Forbert, I kind of dismissed the theory that they were going to try him with McAvoy. I thought it was going to be a while before they went down that path. But then when you look at the fact that he played with Neil Pionk and he played with uh, Drew Doughty for so long, it seems like the vision was very clear that that's what they wanted to do was have Forbert be a supporting player for McAvoy. Whether or not that's the right move is up for debate, but it is, I guess, getting closer to a point where they might have to just make a decision and ride something out a little longer than... Uh, you know, a couple games because they haven't really dealt with injuries on defense. Like they haven't been in a position where they've had to just piece things together. Yeah. I had another point to make, but I already forgot. So. Um, 
That's a good sign. Typical. Well, Lauren, you can settle the tie now. What is the Oh, tie? you did settle yeah, the tie. Was it was you think they Whoa. should stick with Forbert. Whoa, and yeah. then Lauren and I think. Yeah, I'm stick on with an Grizzly. island. As always. Yeah, typical. <laughs> um, but these are the conversations that you also have the first week of November because you're kind of nitpicking at everything and the Bruins are not playing many games apparently. So um, I guess the – so let's sort of spin it a little bit because – are are we good on the defense? Is there any more we can dive into no. on that? Okay, I, I figure. So. Mike seems exasperated, I just, per uh, usual. Defense talk doesn't I'm, doesn't do it for I'm you. I'm a simple-minded noob. Like it's it's far more difficult for me to conceptualize anything about playing defense in the NHL than like it's that it is a simple-minded thing. Like forwards, go put the puck in the net. Got it. Defensemen, keep it out. Sure, but like. There's subtleties and nuances that I'll never understand, and you have to really pay attention to be like, oh, that guy clears the puck or clears the zone more often in tighter spots. Like, you know what I mean? You admitting that you're very simple-minded should probably be the cold open for this podcast. I'm not every time. generally simple-minded. I'm actually very deep, thoughtful, and I, I I provoke thought among my peers. It's just when it comes to defensemen, I'm like, oh, yeah. It is a very nuanced position. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult to play. So let's go back over the last seven days because the Bruins got mollywopped by the Hurricanes and then they split their decisions with the Panthers. I have been of the belief that the Panthers are going to be a very good team, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Thus far, that is what they've been. Uh, the Hurricanes still have not lost a game. By the time the Bruins played the Panthers, they had not lost a game until the Bruins beat them on Saturday. Uh, so we've seen the Bruins kind of beat up on, you know, the Sharks, a team that was good at the time, but probably, you know, will flame out at some point. And we've seen them hold their own against the Panthers uh, and then just deliver a pretty bad performance on the second leg of a road back-to-back against the Hurricanes. So have either of you gotten any sort of sense about what this team is and what kind of teams they can hang around with yes and no i think that you know i think the second line of coil hall and smith have been very very good i think that that's kind of setting the tone for what we'll see from them this season but when you look at the top line and their lack of production i don't think i mean i'm not convinced that's what they're going to be all year i think it's just a matter of just kind of finding their groove and Pasternak just getting back into you know a consistent game schedule and consistent season but I think that at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a good team. I think that they've shown that they can hang with you know, the Sharks and the, the Panthers and put up good fights there. Maybe see like a little more physicality, but that's the same old song and dance and really not worth going down that rabbit hole there. But I think at the end of the day, I'm more or less happy with what I've seen from the Bruins in seven, eight games, seven games. Seven. Seven. They're the number one team expected goals percentage and their top 10 expected goals against. So it feels a lot like the same old, same old, right? Right down to the fact that like the advanced analytics don't necessarily reflect what we've seen on the ice, which could basically be the story of the Boston Bruins for the last hundred years. Yeah. Five more specifically. I yeah, but say. like it's what they do, right? Like yeah, they they control they the puck do. and then they struggle to put it in the net. So, was the question? Am I surprised? Is that what, uh, well, the question? Is do you think that 
they can actually hang around with. Like so, yes. when, when you look at how they played yeah. against the Panthers and the Hurricanes, mixed I mean, results between be, the three games. It's, what? It's, there are not going to be as many certainties, not even just in terms of wins, but in terms of like having a good game. As well, like there are going to be more games like the Hurricanes game than we've seen in the past. I think, like I, I, and I think that's kind of indicative of having a younger team, of having a defensive group in flux, um, and especially early in the year, trying to figure out what you have in your forwards. Not to mention they've had a bunch of injuries. So yeah, there's a lot of st- there's a lot of uncertainty still. I I feel. But like I like I said, so I look at the numbers and it's like okay, this is starting to kind of balance out where they're they're more or less the same. I think they're like a, just a a diet version of of what they've been in the past, but not to the point where it's going to be they're terrible, you know. So I I just think it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle. Maybe they find it at some point too. That's I'm not completely ruling that out because to Lauren's point, like the first line, I mean, I if we're probably a week tops away from them just going on a stupid run just because these right. sorts of things even themselves out. So, and when that happens, it's going to be like, wow, can anybody stop this team? I just think there's going to be more peaks and valleys than maybe sure. we've seen in the past. You know, it's a weird take to have like a week into the season, but I'm sort of developing it now. Big X factor is Nick Felino in all of this because the complexion of the lineup from opening night when they didn't have Curtis Lazar, but they did have Nick Felino has completely changed now that Nick Felino's out because I look at the bottom six. I'm like, man, that is a group that is just leaving very little room to be inspired. But when Felino's in the mix, you're like, oh, hey, you might have to healthy scratch, you know, Trent Frederick or Curtis Lazar or Carson Kuhlman or someone like that. I think having a player like Felino who isn't a world beater and isn't the player that he used to be during his, you know, mid years with Columbus, but somebody who is a capable third-line winger in the mix to go with Dabrowski and Hala as opposed to having to put Curtis Lazar there, who's far better served centering or playing right wing on the fourth line. I think that changes things a lot. So it is tough in some senses to get a clear idea of what this team is, especially when you know there's uncertainty with the health of Craig Smith and they're jockeying the lineup so much. Like, they we haven't really gotten the clearest picture of what they'll look like healthy. And maybe we never will. Some teams don't, Um, but they're in a sort of unique spot in that sense. Yes. Uh, Okay. You look like you had something to say. No, I was actually giving me knowing glances. I just, I I was following up on what the point I was making or the, the numbers they lead the, Oh God. They lead the league in, uh, expected goal differential yeah which is that seems good i know a lot of people who would say well what what about the actual goal differential which i'm i am a big fan of using expected goals fifth worst in the nhl in shooting percentage on shots on goal so like i said a lot of a lot of jersey crests being hit when it comes to yeah but i don't know how you fix that i don't think you i guess maybe it's you get a few better opportunities. Probably here moving there. your feet more. Yeah, right? I think that's the kind of stuff that maybe, as guys get more comfortable, as players get healthy, as the the lineup kind of shakes itself out, assuming they get to that point, maybe that starts to improve. And if that does, then I think the goals are going to kind of come in a flood at least to start. So. I will say a sneaky soft 
portion of the schedule coming up for the Bruins. So they've got the Red Wings, who have actually been off to a good start. I know a few of us were beating the drum for them to get Pew Suter. He went to the Red Wings, and he's been very good. Um, but the, the Red Wings appear to be a bit of an upstart team that are better positioned in the standings right now than the Bruins are. Considering they will probably uh, have water find its level there. Next, the Bruins played uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, another team that has uh, performed differently than the expectations were. And then they get Ottawa, Edmonton, and New Jersey. So uh, Edmonton will obviously be a bit of a challenge. But otherwise, the Bruins have a few matchups where it's teams that they probably uh, should beat. So that could pan out well for them. But we alluded to it a little bit ago, uh, the first line and the fact that they're getting basically – um, not no production, but far less production than they are used to and far less production than they actually need. Uh, if you want to talk about a perhaps panic move from Bruce Cassidy, he put Craig Smith on that top line for a period of time over the weekend and put David Posternock on the second line. So my question to you two is what is your level of concern with the top line right now? Because obviously the way they are playing right now is not sustainable. I have no concern, not right now. I mean, Mike said it, they're, you know, not far away from going on some crazy run. And it's just a matter of time and just getting their, their feet under them. The schedule really stinks right now. And it's as much as they practice, and even though they, we know they have great chemistry, it's sometimes it's hard to translate that into game action. So I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. I don't think anyone really looks injured. I don't think it's anything. I just think it's shaking off the rust of, of off season and preseason and, going from there but if people are concerned right now i don't i think it's just a panic move i think that even cassidy's answer about why he swapped smith and poshnock was kind of i don't want to say a non-answer because he was just like oh it has nothing to do with pasta it's just that you know chemistry and stuff and it's like well you know the top line has chemistry <laughs> so um you also know people are going to react when you break apart that line yeah they are going to absolutely panic uh bruins twitter loved panicking over that move but I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. If this continues into the next week, 10 days, even two weeks, maybe we can revisit that and be like, what needs to be done? But right now, I think that they've got a good slate of games coming up to really get that chemistry going. you got to hope it's the schedule for a start. I, I'm more concerned than Lauren, which is, I mean, might as well be the difference between the two of us as humans. But <laughs> um, Because, like, Bergeron hasn't looked great. Like no, he hasn't. That's almost more concerning to me than Pasternak. That's where I kind of stand. Because, yeah, Pasternak, I mean, 50-goal guy, like, fall out of bed, score 50 goals. That stuff, is it can be cyclical. And, like, what he's going to score four goals one night, and just be like – then you look back at the end of that week and be like, well, his numbers actually aren't that bad. And like, well, yeah, he does that every year, too. Yeah. You want to talk about peaks and valleys. Right. Like, <laughs> Which but. is uh, – I mean, that's that is what it is. Like, that's a – that's a goal scorer thing is you know it's, it's kind of like a shooter in the nba you get hot and you can't miss and then you go cold and you you gotta find ways to get out of your slump that being said like well if, if bergeron's not playing to the level that we've become accustomed to seeing how does that affect Pasternak? i, mean, I don't know that's worth kind of considering as well too yeah. so uh that's a big problem for the bruins and they if, really just have to hope that like and i don't know how this would work with his age and his injury history, but they have to hope that like Bergeron actually gets better when they're playing more often, which I could see. I can talk myself can into that. that. Like when I get into a you know a groove of working out and things like that, you feel a lot better and it's easier to get going. And it's, 
it's habitual and things like that. I mean, the obvious argument against that is if he's playing more often with less rest, then that's not good either. Uh, but I'm not ready to give up on Patrice Bergeron yet. Like, that seems foolish. Uh, I don't know if he's coasting in a, in a good way, kind of conserving. I guess coasting is a, a negative connotation. Conserving yeah. is probably the better um, <laughs> headline. Is Patrice Bergeron yeah. mailing it in? No, I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I, I mean, he hasn't – like, his Bergeron looked bad. No, no, it just look doesn't bad. look He's looking neutral. Exactly. He's just kind of there. you're not used to that. Right, yeah. So I think it comes around. I, I it's I'm monitoring it. It's on my radar, but I wouldn't say I'm overly concerned about anything. Yeah. If you're if you're concerned, like the, what are we doing here? Like you might as well see you later. Like the season's done. Yeah. You know? I mean, right. I think that there's a natural level of being skeptical that you probably should be, but you also should not be, you know, mashing the panic button because I don't know. This stuff happens. Their schedule has been very weird, and eventually they're not going to be able to lean on that excuse. Not that they really do, but it is tough to sort of get going when it's this constant, you know, red light, yellow light, green light, all that crap. So I guess the next question I would pose to you guys is, and I'm forcing you to have a take here, is if you are Bruce Cassidy and you're like, all right, I'm going to just mix something up. I'm going to try and jumpstart top line what change are you making you have to make a change you can't just say keep it together keep it together i was kidding um you know i think that moving pasta to the second line makes the most sense because he does have he has played with with uh taylor hall before and craig smith has also played with marshan and bergeron they looked a lot more comfortable than i thought they would just for bruce cassidy mixing it up but i think that'd be the change i'd make maybe that's the easy answer because that's what happened on saturday but I think that I think Craig Smith can really play anywhere. I like Poshnok and Hall together. I think that they could certainly do damage if they built that certain chemistry. But if I had if I had to make a change, it's Poshnok to the second line and Smith up to the first. Well, Zara, no. Uh, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> he was a first round pick. Sometimes he has first round hands. Taylor Hall, the first line. See, so I agree with that. And it would be awesome. It'd be so much fun to watch because I think. Who are, are you moving Poster knocked down? No, I'm moving Marshawn. Okay. I think Marshawn's the, the best player on that team and has the best chance of fitting in with somebody else. And I think for better or worse, like Posternock is kind of stapled to Bergeron and he as he goes, they go and vice versa. Hall's kind of been quiet so far too. I think it gets him going as well, perhaps. This feels like almost like Bergeron kind of evolving into like a David Krejci role where it's you don't need to go nuts out there, just kind of feed off of these guys' speed and put them in the right position to succeed. I I would be really interested in seeing that. I would too because one thing that, even though he hasn't been fantastic, one thing we have seen from Taylor Hall is that he can really drive a line. So you could put him with Pasternak and Bergeron and all of a sudden – you're taking the burden offensively way off of Bergeron. Now, his defensive responsibilities are probably upticked a little bit, but the, the David Krejci comparison is a good one because you let Bergeron sort of be more of a playmaker, and you know he'll find soft spots to score and whatnot. But I, too, would be very interested to see that kind of combination. It takes pressure off Charlie Coyle, too. It does, yeah. Or it's the same thing. It's like you, know, you got two guys who are just going to shoot the puck every chance they get. With Smith and Marshan, like I don't know, it'd be I'd 
I'm all for it. I guess let's get weird. I mean, it, and people people don't really care about like what line they're on anymore. As long as it's top six, like or Timmy Panarin plays on the second line for the Rangers, and he's far and away their best for. They're all getting power play time, so like right. And when you can share the responsibilities too, I mean, if they split the lines up like that, they're each of those six forwards would play like seventeen to nineteen minutes a night. Um, so who knows? Maybe we'll. Uh, Show back up next week in the the Hall Bergeron Pasternak line. We'll have a you know seventy five percent Corsi four. What an awesome! I am so into that. The more I think about it, yeah, we're gonna talk ourselves into that. Tape. I just think it's like you get spoiled after a while. It'd be like you're almost bored by how good the first line's been. Where it's just like I part of me wanting that to happen is just I just want to see it. So here's where I'll loop Lauren back in is. Is that Mike and I just being knuckle draggers, being like, "Wow, the idea of Hall Bergeron Pasternak sounds great," or do you think there's actually a level of like they they could do that and it would make sense? It definitely would make sense. I think through putting uh, Marshan on the second line creates a lot of speed. That all of a sudden becomes a very very fast line, and maybe even Taylor Hall adding a little bit of speed to the first line. Maybe that maybe that could jumpstart Bergeron. I don't know, but I like the idea of it. I think that I don't think Cassidy would do that. I think he's he's a panic line changer, but I don't think he'd go that route. I'd I'd be surprised. I w- wouldn't hate to see it, but I think at the end of the day, if he continues to switch these lines, he's going to continue to put Pasternak on the second line. I also would be shocked if Bergeron p- prefers to play with Marshawn, and it's basically his call. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I will say this though: that second line, if it were Marshawn, Coyle, and Smith. Hard-working line. Like, that would be a tough line to play against defensively. And that might actually – here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advance the take here. You probably get more out of Marchand offensively because he's playing with two pretty good defensive forwards in Craig Smith and Charlie Coyle as opposed to having to sort of pick up the slack maybe left behind by a ho-hum defensive player in David Pasternak. I don't know. I, at the same time, he has a selkie – center with them so maybe it all comes out in the wash but i think to answer your original question is how we would improve the first line how get was how did you phrase it how do you get the first line going yeah but is he in buffalo right now <laughs> exactly <laughs> trade for jack eichel yeah fix it there yeah tomas hurdle yeah move him up just, get, just pick him out of a hat yeah that's yes. get weird i don't know i don't think they're at that point yet well they're certainly not at the point of picking out of a hat but yeah, it's actually. I think it's interesting to see, kind of, the evolution and of that decision making process, if there is one at all. Because, like I said, I think there's probably more like to that Marchand Bergeron thing than we're acknowledging here. So. Yeah, probably. It's very easy to just sit here and play armchair right. coach and turn on the blender and be like, "All yeah. right, congrats, Taylor Hall. You're on well, the first also, line now." It's also pretty disingenuous of me, who wants to keep Forber and McAvoy together to give him chance to find themselves and then just completely throw everything else in a blender yeah. but like that's but i will say too the the benefit that you have the additional benefit of is like if you may if you did break up that first line to see what you had and try to get guys going when you go back you have no reservations whatsoever like yeah. worst case scenario is you go back to having one of the best lines in hockey sure yeah, it's like, well, our experiment didn't work in a November game against the Red Wings. So yeah, so I now we're going to put Patrice Bergeron with <laughs> David Pasternak and Brad Marjan. That's like, okay, cool. That's a good point. Maybe we all just need to get out of our comfort zones a little bit. There's something to that, too. What, getting out of our comfort zones? With the Bruins, where it's like, huh, 
maybe they'll do it at some point. I don't know. It's like it's. it's if there's a coach who would do it. It's Bruce Cassidy. The fact that he hasn't yeah. done it yet then makes me wonder if it's ever going to happen. So we're just wasting time. Perhaps, but he has kind of done it right. Like he hasn't done the whole yeah, March thing. Recently, but, yeah. And I don't know how much more caution he has now since the second line center is Charlie when, Coyle instead of David Krejci. When was the last time they started a game? Or like a stretch of games, or when was the last time that line was consistently broken up? Do you remember? Uh, when Pasternak was hurt to start so, last year. Uh, injury aside, uh, I feel like there was a stretch. What was it? It, it was shortly before. Point. It was shortly before COVID. I could be completely wrong, but in 2020, in the winter, I feel like there was a stretch when DeBrusque and Krejci were really bad, and. They moved DeBrusque around a lot, and they kept Krejci as is. And part of me thinks there is a stretch there. Pasternak went down. The yeah. Maybe. That makes sense. But I could be wrong about that. I was just, I would have betted on it. You're right. I think there was something. that, But I would have bet on that happening a long time ago. It feels like they've been together for like 10 years, even though I haven't even bet. Yeah. That's true. Uh, who knows? We could all stand to be a little less stuck in our ways, I suppose. Uh, so why don't we call it there before we get a little bit too far down the uh, the rabbit hole of Again, mental health and whatnot. Uh, so this has been the Nesson Bruins podcast. And uh, if you like this podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave a review, leave a five-star rating. If you're not going to leave a five-star rating, you can go ahead and sit that one out. Uh, but I'm Logan. That's Lauren and Mike. And until next time, we'll talk to you then.